When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Well, well, well. Getting really, really interesting out there, folks. Not that it hasn't been. But man, oh man, there's some hot brewing stuff going on out there that, frankly, I'm surprised, ha ha, is not bigger news than it is. And that's why I'm here. That's why I am America's real anchorman to tell you what the big news really is. The big news, the drive-by media, the Democrats and the media are ignoring. Now, in the news, all of a sudden, Barack Hussein O. And Barack Hussein O. is in the news for what? Well, he's tra- No, he's trashing Trump on Corona. He's blaming Trump for coronavirus. He's blaming him for the virus. He's blaming him for the reaction to the virus. He's blaming him for the chaotic set of circumstances in the lockdown. Why is Barack Hussein O doing this? Because it has been revealed that Barack Obama collaborated with the FBI to invent the Russia collusion scandal. It is now, we knew this, I mean, I asked, grab soundbite number one. I just want, this is, this is February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2017. Listen to this. Oh yeah, just how lame the media is and how little they've got. They're already asking, what did Trump know and when did he know it? And that's not the question. The question is, what did Barack Obama know and when did he know it and what has he engineered here? This all happened with Flynn back in December. Trump had not even been inaugurated yet. And it's still mysterious to me what really happened. Even if, even if Flynn 
as the incoming national security director, had called the Russian ambassador to talk about it. So what? That's not hard to imagine. That's not a big deal. It really isn't a big deal. Not at all. The national security advisor incoming during the transition would have been calling his counterparts in countries all over the world. It was not unusual. Anyway, uh, my point here is that none of this Trump-Russia collusion stuff could have happened without Obama knowing about it. These people that perpetrated it, the FBI and the DOJ, the Comeys, the McCabes, the Clappers, the Brennans, none of them could have done what they were doing without Obama knowing about it, at bare minimum knowing about it. And at worst, directing it. And it turns out he was directing it. It's that famous Oval Office meeting on January 5th of 2017. I spent many minutes talking about that on Friday. After the program ended on Friday, I saw a post at the, uh, at the Federalist by Molly Hemingway. And she focused on that. And then, of course, the Trump Tower meeting the next day, which the Oval Office meeting on January 5th was to set up. In other words, Obama led a meeting on January 5th, 2017, to plan how to sabotage Trump with the Russia collusion narrative and get it out there the next day in a Comey and Brennan meeting with Trump at Trump Tower. So it it, it is... Not a stretch. In fact, it's factual to say that Obama collaborated to invent the Russian collusion narrative. That's why Obama is taking all of his time and trying to focus on Trump and his supposedly horrible, chaotic response to the coronavirus. Obama knows he's got buddies. He knows he's got sycophants. He knows he's got butt kissers in the drive-by media, but he still needs to give them somewhere to go. And so harping on Trump and Trump's supposed incompetence is Obama's way of deflecting. Because I'm telling you, to show you how discombobulated Obama is, grab audio soundbite number two. This, the, the, the Obama alumni had a conference call last Friday. Now, the Obama alumni is 3,000 former Obama administration sycophants, butt kissers, people that worked with Obama in his regime. And this is how Obama is characterizing the supposed travesty of the Department of Justice dropping the case. Dropping the case against Flynn. The news uh, over the last 24 hours, I think, has been somewhat downplayed about uh, the Justice Department dropping uh, charges against Michael Flynn. And the fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find for uh, someone who's been charged with perjury uh, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you you begin to uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but uh, our basic understanding of of rule of law uh, is is at risk. This is the guy said to be smarter than everybody. 
That's the guy said to be smarter than anybody in the room. He speaks and nobody can compete. That sounded pretty disjointed, but worse than that. Here's Obama saying, there's no precedent that anybody can find for a someone who's been charged with perjury just getting off scot-free. Well, what's the problem? Flynn was not charged with perjury. Flynn was not charged with... He did not face a single charge of perjury. Yeah, he supposedly lied to the FBI at a process crime, but he did not plead guilty to perjury. Oh, come on, Rush. That's it. No, it's like Obama saying in 57 states, this guy was given a pass... He is assumed to be brilliant. He has intellectual speak down pat. In fact, my good friend, Dr. Thomas Sowell, has a a great characterization of Obama's political genius. Writes Dr. Sowell, Obama's political genius is his ability to say things that'll sound good to people who've not followed the issues in any detail, regardless of how obviously fraudulent what he says may be to those who have paid attention. In other words, Obama's political genius is fooling a bunch of idiots. But he doesn't fool smart And And there's, a, there's another thing that I want to toss on the flame here. Because this, I knew this was going to happen. I didn't predict it. I stayed silent. I stood mute. But I knew this was going to happen, and I was hoping it would, and I couldn't wait till it did. The Democrat Party and the media all think that the Obamas are universally loved and adored, that they are the most respected and the most popular people in or out of politics in the country today. They think that whenever Obama comes along and endorses your candidacy— that you are a slam-dunk winner. And in the vast majority of Obama endorsements, it's actually the exact opposite, and you have to go no further than Hillary Clinton to prove it. Now, much was made about the Obamas and their Netflix deal. Remember that? The swooning was total in the drive-by media, the Democrats in the media, everybody. Oh, my God, the Obamas got a, got a production deal at Netflix. Oh, this is so wonderful. The Obamas are going to be able to propaganda. Oh, this is so. Michelle Obama dealt sobering blow by critics after Netflix flop. Former First Lady Michelle Obama's fans... And supporters were excited for the May 6th release of her Netflix documentary, Becoming, expecting it to be as successful as her 2018 book was. And there's no denying her book was a success, but do we know why? We're being led to believe that people all over the world couldn't wait to buy it. They couldn't get enough of it. Some liked it so much they bought multiple copies. So the illusion... Manufactured, created, it's ongoing that the Obamas are alone in the pantheon of political popularity. That nobody is even close. And if Michelle Obama ends up on the ticket, oh my God, it's over for Trump. Oh my God, there's one person Obama can't beat her, or Trump can't beat, and that's Michelle Obama. This is the conventional wisdom. 
her Netflix documentary in the middle of a pandemic when everybody is at home was a bomb. It was a flop. Rush, you sound like you're happy about it. No, folks, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not happy that the thing flopped. Well, I, I, I'm happy that, once again, a big batch of conventional wisdom has been stood upside down on its head. The conventional wisdom is that you can't touch the Obamas in popularity and that if she decides to run for president, they somehow draft her to get rid of plugs. It's over. She's so universally loved and adored and so popular that there is no way. Trump should just quit. Trump shouldn't even mount a campaign. Trump shouldn't even waste time, shouldn't even waste money, because nobody can beat Michelle Obama. Isn't this not one of the things in various forms that we have heard? And this 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 documentary called Becoming, I mean, it was hyped. It was promoted. It was anticipated. But after the widely anticipated film was released, critics weren't exactly raving about it. In fact, some critics, the people who wanted it to be a slam-dunk home run success, seemed to be pretty disappointed. Prior to its release, the trailer appeared to offer a better inside look into the Obamas than what reviewers got. In other words, a trailer was something, but the actual show itself was a bomb. Variety accused the film of presenting the former first lady in a manicured fashion. You see how the Obamas escape? It's their film. It's not, it's not some director that we don't know or producer that goofed up. It was the Obamas. You think they had no control over what this was? Variety accused the film of presenting the form. I bet the film's offended. Variety accused the film of presenting the former first lady in manicured fashion. The film didn't present anything. The Obamas presented themselves. And I'll guarantee you this. They presented themselves because they buy their own hype. They're just like the Clintons. They believe their own press clippings. And so they put this thing together based on what they believe, based on what they were told at their audience or their voters, supporters, whatever, wanted to see, and it bombed. Variety says there are no big revelations here, no gotcha moments or intimate scenes in which the subject lets down her guard, but the target audience hardly expects anything tougher. Far more than the memoir, i.e. the book, the film presents a manicured version of the way Michelle Obama sees her. So the, the film does nothing. Michelle Obama presented a manicured version. You think that she had no say-so over what this film was and how it was put together? But since it bombed and since it's so bad, they have to write reviews of it as though she got screwed too. A bunch of incompetent people and the film did a lousy job. Other critics painted the film as nothing more than a tool to help the Obama family retreat from the global stage. In other words, a lot of people watched this thing and they took away from it that this was the Obamas waving goodbye to the public stage, not getting ready to get back on it. And with that one quote, we now know why the major disappointment over the Michelle Mybell Obama Netflix flop. 
They were all expecting it to be the precursor to a presidential run. You know, just like when a when a politician goes out and writes a book, it is presumed that's a requirement. You're going to run for president, you've got to write a book. You have to write a book. You have to get the book out there. People have to read the book or people have to pretend. Well, she's got her book out there, but this was to be the vehicle whereby the people of America would stop everything they were doing and demand and beg Michelle Obama to run and save America yet again. And yet the critics watched it and said, this thing is really just the Obama family retreating from the global stage. The film feels very much like an artifact of the Obama's attempt to retreat from the global stage in favor of private lives producing socially relevant nonfiction films. There's no more eloquent, if disappointing, flex of power than the film's refusal to really engage on the topic lurking at its edges like a stalker pointing out the sidewalk he's standing on is technically public. Whatever the hell, they're down in the dumps. They thought this was going to be her entree to presidential candidacy. And they see it as the Obamas waving goodbye. And then the added insult injury, nobody watched it. The reason I'm bringing all this up, Obama has now been caught out, and, it, and it's, the, it's the Flynn case that's done it, Obama is now, there's no question, he was collaborating with the FBI in inventing and creating and implementing the Russian collusion narrative, including how to set up Trump. They can't have that stand, so they've got now Obama's to come out and start ripping Trump on the handling of the coronavirus, every number of other things. This... And you're not seeing any news about this. Not the way I'm shaping it for you. But I guarantee you that within the hallowed halls of the Democrat establishment, there is somewhat of a let, because they don't know what to do about plugs. You know, Karl Rove says that there's nothing they can, that, that there's no way they can get rid of plugs. Karl Rove says, and he's a big rules guy, and he's looking at a Democrat committee National Committee and their convention rules, delegates, and there's no way that, that, that Plugs is not the nominee. There's nothing they can do to stop it. That's what I said. Watch them. But now they're even more intent on, on having to do so. If, if you're sitting out there thinking that you have a savior ace card, and then you learn that the Ace Card did a film at Netflix to a bunch of fanfare that nobody watched, and the people that did watch it didn't like it. And now the Flynn case has exposed Obama's role in the collusion. <laughs> there is a shakeup inside with the, the, the Biden situation that they've got a gigantic problem. Anyway, i got to take a brief break. There's other news that I thought also qualified as some of the biggest of the weekend, and I'll tell you what that is when we get back. And greetings and welcome back. Rush Limbaugh executing assigned host duties flawlessly, zero mistakes. Now, I know that we're just barely 25 minutes into the program, so it's no big deal not to have made any mistakes 25 minutes, but I guarantee you there won't be any. Now, the the other big news, let me just give you a quote here. 
I want to ask you why you are not seeing this constantly. Dr. Deborah Burks said, quote, there is nothing from the CDC that I can trust. She said this at a White House coronavirus task force meeting. And this is according to the Washington Post. Dr. Burks and others on the White House task force. The CDC may be inflating coronavirus case numbers and the death toll by 25%. This is the number two to Dr. Fauci. And she said that the Centers for Disease Control may be inflating the number of cases and the number of deaths by 25%. Why is this not plastered all over everywhere? There's more to it, too. Hang on. Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh and the EIB Network and kicking off a brand new week. Uh, broadcast Excellence. All right, here we go in, in a little bit more detail. The Washington Post reports that Dr. Deborah Burks and others in the White House task force, the Coronavirus Task Force, say that the Centers for Disease Control may be inflating the coronavirus case numbers and death toll by 25%. From Dr. Burke, she's second only to Dr. Fauci in terms of credibility, acceptance, and being the, she's the second most, foremost uh, media darling. Washington Post claims that in recent meetings, Dr. Burks even said, there is nothing from the CDC that I can trust. I kind of tore into the CDC last Friday, and I heard about it from people. I even heard about it from Snerder. I said, where was the CDC when this virus was percolating over in China? So you can't blame them. The Joycoms were lying. I can blame It's their jets. all they do. The Centers for Disease Control. And remember, we're told we're not allowed to question expertise, folks. We're not allowed to question science. We're not allowed to, oh, I'm sorry, question. I've no, there's a TV info person that says the word that way, and it bugs me. Question. I have a question for you. Anyway, I hear that and I start imitating it. At any rate, why can't we question the expertise? Why are we not allowed to question this? If we question the science, it somehow makes us Neanderthals. So we're supposed to be just good sheep, and accept whatever science and expertise says. Now, the Centers for Disease Control is made up of a lot of people, and they are supposed to be doing research on every virus supposedly on the planet. They're supposed to be conducting studies, what could happen if one of them breaks loose, coming up with vaccines or antidotes or whatever. This is their job. And this thing totally blindsided, not just them, but a lot of other people. And I realize there are reasons. One of the big reasons is the World Health Organization was doing everything it could to protect China. 
I mean, we've even, there's, there's a story today that the, the CHICOM government told the World Health Organization to not report on the person-to-person transmissibility of this virus for like six weeks. And the World Health Organization dutifully obeyed, which would then prompt people to say, well, then you can't blame the CDC. All right. If you don't like the word blame, all I'm all I'm saying is this is this is this is their job, and I'm sorry that po- you know politics has corrupted so much of science, and politics has corrupted so much of what we consider expertise. I would love it if we literally had the best and brightest in these positions, but how can we when they don't earn anywhere near what they can earn in the private sector? There's always been something that I've been curious about. Why would somebody leave a multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year job, say, at a pharmaceutical company to go to the FDA? What can you make at the FDA? Now, admittedly, I'm sitting here assuming that people who work at the FDA are civil servants and they're subject to the pay scale and they don't make anything more than a Supreme Court justice or... Uh, Speaker to House, member, I don't know. But you can go there and spend some time and then parlay that into a a higher paying job in the private sector, I suppose. But the idea that we're not supposed to question it and we're just supposed to accept it. I mean, you take, it requires a whole bunch of people willing to be conformists to do that. And when you have Dr. Burke saying here, there is nothing from the CDC that I can trust. Now, my further question is, if, 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 if she feels this way about the data from the CDC, it's not new. When did she first become dissatisfied or suspicious? And why didn't she speak up earlier? There had to be something here that triggered her reaction, which is obviously one of frustration. Burke said nothing from the CDC that I can trust in a White House coronavirus task force meeting. She said later in a statement to the Washington Post that mortality is slowly declining every day. It's not rising by 25 percent like the CDC is telling us. Willie Brown, the... Speaker, former Speaker of California Assembly, former mayor, San Francisco, now columns for the San Francisco Chronicle, has written a piece in the Chronicle saying this can't go on. California has to figure a way out. California has to open up. When people were asked to shelter in place, they did so in amazing numbers with no plan. But nobody envisioned the shelter in place would last this long. Yes, they did, Mr. Speaker. Oh, yes, they did. And the vast majority of them are in your party. They sure as hell intended it to last this long, and they intended to keep lasting longer. There are still to this day... People do not want this economy reopened. They don't want the shutdown ended. They don't want the lockdown ended. 
I'm reading sports media stories. NFL sports media. Every day making the case how it's going to be impossible to play NFL games this 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 spring, this fall rather. Ain't going to be possible. People in the sports media are trying to talk everybody into accepting the fact that this economic shutdown and lockdown has no end in sight. As evidenced by, well, the NFL's not going to be able to play. Dr. Fauci says if just four players on a team test positive, you got to shut down that team for two weeks. Maybe if one player gets sick, you can do without that one play. My point is that the psychology of this is is being uh, transmitted to the American public on a daily basis in such a way that the very idea of opening up the economy is a death sentence. You can't do it. You better not look forward to it. It can't be done. And they're all making the case that it won't be possible to open up the economy until we can get to the point that nobody's ever going to get the virus. Come on. Seriously? Nobody's ever going to get... They don't say it specifically that way, but that's what they mean. Short of a vaccine, until if, if just one person, if one player gets it, we got to cancel season. This is the sports media whose, whose lifeblood is the NFL playing games so that these people have jobs covering what happens in the NFL. And they're advocating. They're trying to create the psychological mindset that it would be insane to open up. And Willie Brown in California is starting to get antsy and itchy over this. And I, I don't doubt that he believes that the original shelter in place was a very, very limited temporary thing. I think a lot of people believe that at the start. And then as time went on and there wasn't any talk about opening up, and even from the coronavirus task force of the White House, a month went by. You couldn't find, in that daily briefing, you couldn't find any discussion of opening up. It was all about the medical progress being made and dealing with the ever-increasing number of cases. Willie Brown says the people have lost their jobs or fear that they're likely to lose their jobs. They want California to open. But so far, the authorities who have locked us in have yet to figure out how to get us out. The authorities? Who would they be? Well, that would be the governor, Gavin Newsom, and they'd be the various mayors of San Francisco and Los Angeles and all the other places in between. Willie Brown says if they don't figure it out soon, the public's going to find a way to get out on its own. Talk about being behind the curve. That's what's already happening all over the country. In fact, says Mr. Brown, some counties and some professions are already opening up and trying to keep businesses from opening with threats of suspending their liquor license or cosmetologist license won't work, not on a mass scale. Then he says this, the goal of the shutdown was to curb the coronavirus and keep the hospitals from being swamped. We kept the hospitals working, but we have yet to curb the virus and a vaccine 
That's probably at least a year away. In the meantime, we're headed over the economic cliff. We're facing unemployment numbers the likes of which we have never seen before. It looks like we're going to be stuck in place until June 1st at least. No matter what, he's talking about California here. But he said June 1st may also be the boiling point. Like it or not, we may have to trust the public to be as safe as possible with masks and hope for the best until a vaccine is found. This is a this is a rising, uh, percolating public opinion. You know what? This can't go on. We cannot stay locked down. This and I, I just want. I've been shouting this for two months, not to make it about me. And I'm sure many of you have too. Now we have some people arriving at this reality late. But what Brown's saying here? Hey, you know what? We may have, we, we can't do this. This is this is unsustainable. We're going to have to open up. We're going to have to trust people to do what they can do to protect themselves. But that flies in the face of the way the Democrat Party and the American left want to try to manage you, uh, the American people, and also destroy Donald Trump. All right, folks, there's one other big story out there. And this you're not going to hear about. From the Daily Wire, 15 days after lockdown ease, Georgia sees its lowest day of COVID-19 hospitalizations. Republican Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia celebrated the state's lowest number of hospitalized coronavirus patients and the fewest number of patients on ventilators on Saturday. It's 15 days, two weeks after Georgia opened up. Governor Kemp tweeted on May 9th, today marks the lowest number of COVID-19 positive patients currently hospitalized statewide since hospitalized or hospitals began reporting data on April the 8th. Today also marks the lowest total of ventilators in use. So... Georgia is trending in the right direction in any which way you want to measure this. So they end the lockdown. And the number of severe cases is uh, is plummeting. You know, I remember asking last weekend, or last week, what happened to all those kids that died that went to spring break? Spring break. Remember that? And, of course, they didn't die. And they were in Florida. They were in the beaches of South Florida in spring break. And people were yelling bloody murder about it. So they came along and they ended spring break. And I've been waiting for the media follow-up stories on the mass death of those kids. There aren't any stories. And then I asked, what about all the people who voted in person in Wisconsin? What happened to them? Did they all get sick and die? No, because if they had, we'd have been reading about it in the news. It's been weeks. We haven't gotten reports about any Calamities, And now Georgia sees its lowest day of hospitalizations 15 days after reopening. Here's Marion as we head to the phones in uh, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, great to have you here with us. Hello. Hello. Uh, on Thursday evening, well, at 8 o'clock Thursday night, our governor extended our lockdown till June 4th, which interestingly enough is two days after our primary. Yeah, the next day, yeah. yeah, 
the next day and over the weekend, then 11 counties uh, wrote up letters. Um, now, these letters included senators and representatives and county commissioners and things saying that they were not waiting till June 4th to open, that they're opening this Friday or sooner. So there's insolence. There's insolence out there. Counties oh, are yeah. standing up and opposing the governor. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one county is, you know, out close to Pittsburgh, but a lot of them are in south central Pennsylvania here because he's kept us on lockdown, even though our numbers are way less than 1% of cases, let alone recovery and all that. Right. right. So people are saying, nope, we're not doing it. We can't. Like you've been saying, we can't keep doing this. We have to open. Yeah, I, I, this is an interesting thing to me, too, because when this lockdown first happened, I was asking myself, how long is this going to go? How long do people intend this, the, the authorities, the uh, people? How long do they intend this to go on? And I was suspicious from the get-go, and I, you know, I started looking at various people. At the daily White House briefing, the Coronavirus Task Force, I started paying attention to people in the media. And I got the impression these people, they're happy about this. And this is no short-term thing as far as they're concerned. This is a long-term thing. I started talking and hearing about, well, we can't reopen until we get a therapeutic treatment or a vaccine or whatever. And then as, as it reached three weeks, I think that was the breaking with three weeks and no discussion of opening up. That's when I began to inside myself, began to panic over what we had agreed to do and what the real purpose of it was, because everything I don't care. It's a damn shame. Everything is politicized. Everything has a political component including this, and we know the unending, absolutely illegal efforts that have been underway to get rid of Donald Trump. And a virus is not going to change those people's minds. It's going to try to make them try to get rid of him even more. So I've been I've been suspicious about this whole lockdown shutdown thing for three weeks, and even now you don't find massive numbers of people eager to reopen. Fastest three hours in media, first hour in the can. On the way over to Limbaugh Broadcast Museum, a virtual museum at RushLimbaugh.com. We'll be right back. So I checked the uh, email during the top of the hour break. And there's a couple from people. What do you mean Obama collaborated with the FBI on the collusion story? Now, most people would get frustrated as all get out because we've spent years explaining how that happened. And an intense period of time toward the end of last week. But as long as there is uh, confusion... And as long as there are people to persuade, then I will take the time and go through it again. Uh, Albeit briefly. Greetings. Welcome back. Great to have you. Rush Limbaugh and the EIB Network as we kick off a brand new week at Broadcast Texas. Look, this is all predicated on the fact that Obama is now out. Well, it's not predicated on this, but it's a great indication Obama is now ripping into Trump 
for his coronavirus response and creating a bunch of chaos and all this. It's a deflection because of what we have learned with the release of documents in the Flynn case. And we... Look, there's some of us that have known this from the get-go. Other people knew it, but what we're waiting for proof beyond something that I would say, or maybe even other people in the so-called conservative media. Now we've got it. We've got evidence, factual evidence of, of, of transcripts of testimony of what happened in the January 5th White House Oval Office meeting with Obama and Clapper and Comey and... All that. Now, before I, I get into this, there's something I have to share with you. All day Friday, when we were talking about this, the earth shattering day where we learned that people like Clapper and Brennan and Sally, who it doesn't matter who was brought up to testify before Adam Schiff's basement committee, they were all saying. They had never seen a shred of evidence that Trump or anybody in his campaign had colluded with the Russians to affect the outcome of the 2016 election. Not a single person under oath said they saw evidence. In fact, every damned one of them said they had never seen evidence. And yet, those people were on CNN every night. And every day, and MSNBC every night and every day, and being quoted in the New York Times and Washington Post every day, that there was collusion, that Trump was a Russian spy, that Putin knew how to run an asset, i.e. Trump. And I, I was livid. Remember I told you that I, I, I really don't have the emotional range to tell you how angry this made me? Nor do I have the vocabulary. And I actually, I do. I was just, the way I chose to tell you how damn frustrated this, this makes me because they got away with this. They won the House. They didn't get rid of Trump, but they won the House in the 2018 midterms. They thwarted and, and uh, derailed much of the Trump agenda. They had statistically half of the people in this country believing that Trump was a Russian agent and therefore a traitor. And yet these people knew that none of this was true and they're on television lying about it. The thing that was gnawing at me all day Friday. And it wasn't until somebody pointed out that Tucker Carlson observed this on his show, Thursday night, Friday night, don't remember which, that there were Republicans hearing this testimony. There were all kinds of Republicans. I can give you the names on that committee and various committees who have known for two years that Clapper and Brennan and Comey have been lying through their teeth and they never said a word about it. Now, I ask people about this. Well, Rush, they can't. It's against the law to leak the contents of sworn testimony of an intelligence committee hearing. You think the Democrats wouldn't have found a way to get the news out? For crying out loud, this is the, it was the one thing gnawing at me all day Friday. And remember, we had a soundbite from the turtle. 
where he's acting like he just learned this? And we're going to get to the bottom of this story. This story, the truth always has a way. I'm listening to this in, in incredulity. I'm incredulous. And then you watch these people, all these Republicans go on TV Friday night to express their outrage over what they've just learned. They were sitting right there. They heard Clapper. They heard Brennan. They heard the lying test. They heard them say for two years would have a shred of evidence. And not a one of them. Well, I can't say that. Because there were Republicans during these two years who were going on television vigorously defending Trump. But there were others who were privy to the testimony who were not. There were Republicans who were suggesting in the midst of this that Trump go ahead and talk to Mueller. If you didn't do anything, you got nothing to hide. In the midst of watching Flynn be railroaded, there were Republicans urging Trump to go talk to Mueller. You know, and it just... It it reinforced... For me, the reality that it isn't just a bunch of Democrats that hate Trump and don't want him anywhere near Washington because he's an outsider. There are still plenty of Republicans. Devin Nunes, do you remember this? Paul Ryan shelved Devin Nunes for nine months on an ethics complaint. The Democrats got mad that Nunes was overstepping his bounds trying to get to the bottom of this. And Paul Ryan, to show good faith with Speaker, to show good faith with the Democrats, signed Line Nunes on an ethics complaint for nine months in the middle of all this. So, I, it's the one thing, it was gnawing at me the whole time I'm explaining this and talking about it, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was that was bothering me until Tucker Carlson referenced it, and that's, yeah, Bingo. I mean, imagine I pick your favorite Republican who you know is in the committee and they're listening to Clapper and they're listening to Comey and they're listening to Brendan. These people are all testifying that they've never seen a shred of evidence that Trump colluded with Russia. Sally Yates, Susan Rice, Samantha Power, Ben Rhodes, they're all in there. They're all testifying. All the Obama people never seen a shred of evidence for it. The Republicans on the committee hearing this day in and day out. Then they go home like the rest of us. They turn on TV and watch these people lying through their teeth. And they don't even make an attempt to subtly correct the record or to subtly, you know, maybe you can't leak testimony of uh, people under oath at an intelligence committee hearing. I understand that, but you wouldn't have to. I don't think these people are telling the truth. I think these people, I don't think there was any collusion. How hard could it have been? And I just continue to be frustrated. This went on and is still going on. This is what people are having a hard time understanding. It is still going on. This effort to rid Washington, D.C. of Donald Trump is still going on. It's now taking place under the umbrella of the coronavirus circumstance with the lockdown and the shutdown and all that. And so 
if that's the case, and we know it is, if there were Republicans who knew full well for two years that these people were telling the truth under oath, that there was no collusion, no evidence of it, they'd never seen it, then when it's time for the pedal to hit the metal, when the rubber to hit the road, when it's time for these people who perpetrated this to pay any kind of price, will the Republicans be there trying to drop the hammer when Durham presents his investigation? There are people who literally ought to be in jail. There are people who literally need to be indicted. There are people who need to have everything taken away from them, like Flynn and Manafort have had taken away from them. The people that ran this operation... There are American citizens, including Robert Mueller, Andrew McCabe, James Comey, Peter Strzok, Stroke Smirk, Lisa Page, Bill Priestep. I go through the list of people who all participated in the willful destruction of lives of their fellow American citizens. Now we've got Roger Stone is out saying that the same thing that they did to Flynn happened to him. That they came along and they they threatened and promised to ruin him. Unless he flipped on Trump. And KT McFarland, Kit McFarland, who was a national security advisor in the Trump administration, saying the same thing. That the Mueller team came along and threatened her with the same kind of personal ruin, unless she flipped. And by the way, there was nothing to flip on. Stone and K.T. McFarland were being asked to lie. They were being asked to recite. That's a judicial term for reciting what the prosecutors want you to say. In other words, they build your testimony, and you say it in exchange for... Immunity, say. And both Roger Stone and K.T. McFarland are saying that Mueller's prosecutors came along and tried the same thing with them that they succeeded in doing with Flynn. They threatened financial, economic, and personal ruin. So we've got Comey, McCabe, Clapper, Brennan, Rosenstein, I mean, you take the whole cast of characters. For the entire time this thing was going on, knew for a fact there was no collusion. There was no evidence. The whole thing was a manufactured coup. And they went so far as the attempt to literally ruin innocent Americans who hadn't done anything except support or be friendly with Donald Trump or work for him. So the news is that Obama was involved in this from the get-go. Andy McCarthy has written about it. Let me just use his words. Obama officials and the FBI collaborated to invent the Russian collusion narrative. Obama officials. And Obama is up to it in his eyeballs as well. The FBI coordinated very closely with the Obama White House on the investigation of Michael Flynn, 
while the Obama Justice Department was asleep at the switch. That is among the most revealing takeaways from Thursday's decision by Bill Barr to pull the plug on the prosecution of Flynn, who served as Trump's national security advisor for three weeks. Flynn had been seeking to withdraw his guilty plea to a false statements charge brought by Robert Mueller. While working on the Trump transition team, December 2016, Flynn spoke with the Russian ambassador in a conversation that was being wiretapped because all Russian officials and foreign agents are wiretapped routinely by the FBI. So they heard the conversation that that Flynn had with Kislyak. That these conversations took place has been known for over three years. Ever since a still unidentified government official leaked the classified information in these phone calls to the Washington Post. For almost as long, it's been known that the FBI became aware of the Flynn-Kislyak discussions very shortly after they happened. What was not known until this week was that then-acting Attorney General Sally Yates was out of the loop. She found out about all of this from President Obama, and she was dumbfounded that Obama knew every detail of this. This was at that famous now White House meeting, January 5, 2017. That was the day when the chiefs of key intelligence agencies briefed Obama on their assessment of Russia's meddling in the campaign, except that there wasn't. The whole thing was a a meeting designed to entrap Trump and to get rid of Flynn. It wasn't for an assessment of Russia's meddling in the campaign because there hadn't been any, and these people all knew it even then. After the main briefing, the president asked Sally Yates and James Comey to hang around to have a chat with him, along with Biden and Susan Rice. Rice. And, And Sally Yates was taken aback when Obama explained that he learned of the information about Flynn talking to Kislyak. She was startled because she later told investigators she had no idea what the president was talking about. She was the acting AG, and she didn't know what these conspirators were doing, but Obama did. And she was... Understandably perplexed why Obama, how did this get up to the level of the presidency? Yates had to figure things out by listening to conversations between Obama and Comey. According to an FBI report, which was appended to the Justice Department's motion to dismiss the Flynn case, Sally Yates' letter said she was so surprised by the information she was hearing that she was having a hard time processing it and listening to the conversation at the same time, meaning she was dumbfounded Obama was involved in this. At any rate, I've got to take a break here, but the, 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 the cat's out of the bag now. And there, look, I have suspected, and you know that I have because I shared with you, that none of this could have happened without Obama signing off on it, without him being involved in these, this many people 
the DOJ, the FBI, the intelligence community would not go rogue on the guy. Remember, they love Obama. They respect Obama. They wouldn't do any of this behind his back. I got to take a break. Hang on. We'll be back and continue. Okay, back to the phones we go. This is uh, Mary in Monroe, Louisiana. Welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Hi. Hi, Rush. Mega prayers to you. Thank you very much. Um, The point I wanted to make is that I'm afraid that now that the walls are closing in on Obama. No, they're not. They're not. The walls are not closing in Obama. We just we (laughs) wish they were, but they're not. Who's going to close the walls on the guy? You're you're right. That's right. Now, now that we do, you know, now that the evidence is coming out of his role in the coup, I think that the chances of Michelle Obama being on the ticket with Biden have increased. Because with her on the ticket, the Democrats can claim that any investigation into Obama is only because Michelle is a political rival of Trump. You know, the Democrats impeach Trump for for asking the Ukrainian president to look into Biden, and they will impeach Trump for looking into Obama, claiming, again, it's politically motivated. There isn't there isn't going to be an investigation of Barack Obama. That'll never happen. I don't care what they turn up. I don't care what Durham has. There will never be an investigation of Barack Obama. It just won't happen. We just don't do that to ex-presidents. Now, it perhaps will be done to Trump when he leaves. But we're not. If Even if, if heads roll on this, if, if McCabe or uh, Struck, Stroke, Smirk, uh, Lisa Page, any number of these people, call me. Clapper Brennan, Obama will not. It just it's it's something that the United States has just never done. It's never gone after ex presidents. Just doesn't happen. Now I think you you might be shouting exceptions at well Rush they never let Nixon rest in peace. Nah, but they got rid of him is the point. They forced Nixon to resign, but it only it's not going to happen to Obama. So any investigation of Obama that might be um, insulary towards protecting Michelle Obama isn't isn't going to happen. And I, don't, I don't mean to shut down your argument with uh, with such with such uh, cold water, but I uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not of the belief that Michelle Obama's the automatic vice presidential running. And I never have, by the way, believed that that's going to happen. Look, I know that I inspire people to get creative with their political strategy, predictions, thoughts and so forth. And I don't I don't mean to be throwing cold water, but but there's there's no way that Barack Obama is going to be prosecuted for anything having to do with. With this scandal, no matter what is proven, folks, because a number one is race. There's just nobody's going to do it. They will. Then you tap onto that. He's an ex-president, and they're always afforded the respect out of office. It just isn't going to happen. Now, that should not mean that others who are culpable here. I mean, there's a. Bunch of people here that knowingly lied, engaged in an absolute unconstitutional coup. 
were attempting to overturn the results of an election that was fair. It was duly constituted. There was no collusion whatsoever. The Russians had nothing to do with the outcome of this election. There are people that tried to ruin other people. I mean, it's it's a slam dunk. And Durham's investigation is going undergoing its its last stages. And you know, Bill Barr is out. I, I think. Just a wild guess here that I, I think Barr might get to the point where he gets so damn frustrated he just tries to lower the hammer on all of these people. You know, you got Chuck Todd openly misquoting Barr on Meet the Press yesterday. So much so that NBC's had to admit the error wasn't an error. It was a purposeful lie. It was a purposeful mistake in editing Barr to make him look like He is operating outside the law. And what was crazy about this was that Barr had already said everything he had said to CBS in an interview with Catherine Harris. Let me get the audio on this. Hang on a minute, folks, while I find it here in the uh, audio cinema. Is it 12? But yeah, there's then 13 and what? Okay, we've got two sound bites here. So here is Chuck Todd on Meet the Press yesterday. And he is talking to, well, he was talking to Peggy Noonan, but I don't, well, I'll tell you what, here, just just play the bite and we'll figure out what it says. Listen to this Bill Barr answer to a question about what will history say about this. Wait till you hear this answer. Take a listen. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on on, uh, who's writing the history. I was struck by the cynicism of the answer. It's a correct answer, but he's the attorney general. He didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, this this is a political job. He did no such thing. Now, Chuck Todd purposely edited all of Barr's comments. He did it on purpose so that he could say he was struck by the cynicism of the answer. He wanted to be able to say that Bill Barr is not a good lawyer, but rather a political hack. Here's what Barr actually said on Thursday night. This is on Thursday. The Meet the Press happens on Sunday. F. Chuck Todd had three days to get this right. So Catherine Harridge says this was a big decision in the Flynn case. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it's going to be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on on, uh, who's writing the history. But I think a fair history would say it was a good decision because it upheld the rule of law. It upheld the standards of the Department of Justice, and it undid what was an injustice. Well, that's what F. Chuck didn't play for his audience. F. Chuck stopped it after Barr said, well, it largely depends on who's writing the history. But Barr went on to say, but I think a fair history would say it was a good decision because it upheld the rule of law. It upheld the standards of the Department of Justice. It undid what was an injustice. Now, Chuck Todd knows he said all that. Chuck Todd knows he said it. He went on Meet the Press and purposely did not play that portion of Barr's answer in an attempt to deceive people watching Meet the Press into thinking Barr is nothing more than a political hack. 
So Trump is out tweeting that NBC ought to fire Chuck Todd. Now, that's not going to happen either. But it is. It's, it's, it's unprofessional. It's beyond the pale. But it's typical. NBC is noted. You know, they blew up a truck to make it look like a General Motors manufacturing process was flawed. Uh, one of their magazine shows way back when. You remember the Trayvon Martin case and the white Hispanic, George, whatever his name was. Remember the famous nine? Yeah, George Zimmerman. That's right. The first white Hispanic known to exist in America. They edited the 911 call. You probably don't remember this. Let me refresh your memory real quick. George Zimmerman, after having an encounter with Trayvon Martin in the neighborhood where he was a watch commander, he calls 911 to report that there's some suspicious guy running around the neighborhood. And he wants the cops to show up and wants 911 to show up. So the dispatcher asks for a description. How tall is he? What's his race? Is he black? Is he white? Is he Hispanic? And George Zimmerman answers the questions. When that 911 tape was released and played on the air, NBC made it look like that Zimmerman was a racist and was informing without being asked on the race of Trayvon Martin. Well, he's black. He looks mean. He looks... They tried to correct or tried to portray the guy as an absolute racist when, in fact, he wasn't. NBC has a long history of this. I mean, but Chuck Todd got caught here total hands down. There should be, if Chuck Todd really takes seriously what he does, and if he wants everybody else to take him seriously... If he wants people to believe that NBC News is trustworthy, that is not political hackery, then he ought to be out apologizing for this, and he ought to be doing it personally, not leaving it up, some faceless PR hacks in the PR department to do this, but he won't. He won't even acknowledge that this happened. Uh, Put it in the rearview mirror, hope people forget about it. Sadly, it is the way things operate in American media. It's not an exception to purposely attempt to characterize Bill Barr as a political hack by editing his complete answer, an answer that everybody who's been watching news has heard since Thursday night. It was dumb, it was stupid, it was childish, it was unprofessional, and it was it was foolish on the part of Chuck Todd to do this. But boy, oh boy, was it indicative of who he is and what his objective is. And if there's any political hackery going on, it is at NBC News. Brief timeout, back with more after this. Look, here's another way of expressing it. Victor Davis Hanson has a piece today at the American Greatness website, and it is entitled Unbearable Truths About Our Current Political Moment. And it is a column-formatted list of things that are just mind-boggling 
They are so mind-boggling that we don't even want to deal with them. The Chinese involvement in the viruses, any number of things that uh, we don't have the will. In our, in our political establishment, we don't have the will to deal with it. We don't have the will to fix it. We don't have the will to hold people guilty accountable. And in the piece is uh, the final section of it. It's called A Final Thought on Obama. Add up the Inspector General's report. Review the wreckage of the Mueller investigation. Collate the evidence that Christopher Steele, Steele dossier, was an utter fraud and a dupe. Remember that Hillary Clinton destroyed her hard drives and her communication devices. Remember that the FBI liquidated hundreds of text messages between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok Strokes Merck. Remember that Christopher Steele destroyed all of his emails and data about Russian sources. Compute in the new discoveries that all of the principals, principal people who fueled the collusion hoax, had long ago, when pressed in secret and under congressional oath, confessed they had no evidence for the lies that they were spreading in the media. Remember the pseudo-summaries of Susan Rice. These are the emails she wrote after she had left office to try to hide what Obama had done to whitewash the Oval Office meeting of January 5th. And then finish off these revelations with the reality that Barack Obama was always privy at best and at worst orchestrating the effort to destroy a presidential campaign and transition. And I, for one, let me just add it. I don't think there's any question that Obama led this. I think Obama was just like all the people on the left. He was beside himself with Hillary losing. He had stuck his neck out for her. He had campaigned for her. He went around the country with his insatiably sized ego telling people, if you want more of me, thinking that everybody wanted more of him. If you want more of me, if you want my third term, then you got to vote for her. And at the convention, he's out there saying to Bill, Bill, you and I, we have to admit it. I mean, we may be good, but we can't hold a candle to her. I mean, he did everything. They hated Trump. Even then, they, they couldn't believe they hadn't been able to get rid of Trump when he accessed Hollywood videos, some of the other stuff. They thought Hillary was a slam dunk. Obama put his neck on the line, his reputation on the line. And Trump comes along and beats her in a near electoral landslide. And he's beside himself. I have never doubted that he was the principal prime mover of this hoax, of this coup. I've never been of the belief that it was a bunch of rogue Obamaites acting without his knowledge. And now that we have the transcripts of the meeting of that January 5th Oval Office meeting in the White House, where they were going to set Trump up the next day, there's no doubt in my mind that Obama orchestrated this to the unendurable truth that a sitting president unleashed his own intelligence agencies 
to warp an election and then feigned ignorance of his central role. And yet finally was so furious about the winner that he sought to sabotage Trump's transition and presidency. But, and this is the question, how could the media, how could Silicon Valley, how could Wall Street, how could the bureaucratic administrative state, how could academia, how could the entertainment world ever process that reality? Because to them, Obama's God. Obama's a deity. How could you ever convince them that Obama was likely the most corrupt president in a generation? And he's Obamaites running around, well, we're really proud. Really, really, really proud. Scandal-free. Scandal-free administrate. Scandal-free my butt. So, you really think you're going to convince the media that Obama's a corrupt scoundrel? You're really going to think all these funders, bankrollers, donors, sycophants? And that's what Obama's got. Sycophants. Think they're ever going to accept that their God, their deity, was likely the most corrupt president in a generation? Ain't going to happen. I don't mean to be throwing cold water on it, folks, just the way it is. Here's Royce. Royce is in, uh, I don't know how you're from Milan, Illinois. Is that right? Yes, it's in Milan. Milan. How are you doing, Rush? Yes. I've listened to you since I was a 16-year-old boy, a teenager, during the 91 Gulf War. Well, you only sound like you're 25 now, so that's... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been an inspiration to me. I'm a pastor, and I have been for over 20 years now. But I want you to know my family and I are praying for you. Uh, I'm an avid fan and a student of yours and have been for almost 30 years. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you very, very much. I wanted to talk a little bit about this coronavirus situation, and I, I understand that there's some reality to it. That's, I think that's a given, but I also believe in my heart that it is one of the biggest, most elaborate lies ever told to the world. I just, it, it is mind-boggling to me how it has crippled our world and crippled our nation and the economy. But uh, I live in a state, Illinois, where our governor is continually moving the goalposts, And he's still saying that churches cannot have any more than 10 in their building. Yeah, J.B. Pritzker. Yes. And I live just, uh, well, I can see uh, our local grocery store from my driveway right now. And I can look down there and see 100 cars in the parking lot. And the marijuana shop is about a mile away. And there are lines of people out there. But I'm told that what I'm doing is not essential and... Uh, and that I'm in violation of the governor's order. And so I've been very upfront with our local police. I've told them whatever we were doing and when we were doing it. And I went down last week or two weeks ago, and I said, we're going to start May 3rd. And uh, these are the safety precautions we're putting in place. And he said, technically, you're going to be in violation of the order. And we started anyway. And uh, I, I just refused to live under that, that oppressiveness that says what they're doing at the marijuana shop is essential, but what I'm doing is not. What they're doing at Lowe's and Menards and our local... Well, wait a minute. Let me give you an easy way to understand this. 
It's much easier for J.B. Pritzker to rule a bunch of people stoned out of their minds than it is to deal with a bunch of people focused on reality like your flock would be. <laughs> uh, I agree with that. Make no mistake. Make no mi- I'm not trying to be funny. I know I'm a naturally funny guy. I'm not trying to be funny. There is, there is something. You threaten them. Religion threatens these people on the left. It's why they do their best to stamp it out when they absolutely authoritatively occupy and run a country. Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin. Stephen Mnuchin said yesterday that uh, permanent economic damage will occur if this country does not reopen. Yeah, that's about right. That's exactly right. That and much more coming right up. Greetings, Ed. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh behind the Golden EIB microphone. And the Limbaugh Institute meeting and surpassing all audience expectations with every mouthful. Phone number, if you want to be on the program, is 800-282-2882. Our last caller. A man of the cloth, a pastor, a minister, a preacher. Very upset that the governor of Illinois is perfectly fine with people showing up in whatever numbers they want to buy to buy marijuana at the marijuana store and yet limiting the number of people who can show up at his church. You know how bad it is? The governor of I said the governor of Chicago, the governor of Illinois, J. B. Pritzker says he will not permit a church to have more than 50 people in it until there's a vaccine. There may never be a vaccine. Can't have more than 50 people in a church. Of course, everybody knows you people who go to church. Oh, you are human filth, right? You're unsanitary. You're dirty, you're stinky, you're smelly, you show up infected with who knows whatever else before you even get the coronavirus. Plus, you're a bunch of dumb hayseed hicks to approved left-wingers like J.B. Pritzker. Now, our last caller might like to know this, because Bill Barr, I don't think we say enough good about Bill Barr. The attorney general, they're trying, you know, NBC, NBC, Chuck Todd, they have not issued an online admission or apology for what they did to Bill Barr. They just sent out a little tweet saying that they'd made a mistake. There has been no official acknowledgement of what they did, knowingly taking a comment of his out of quote to make it look like he's a political hack and then asking F. Chuck Todd's guests to respond to Bill Barr that way. Here's a piece from, from, uh, from Powerline, that, the Powerline blog that uh, the minister might be interested in hearing. In response to the Wuhan coronavirus, Brea Clark, the Democrat mayor in Norman, Oklahoma, locked the city down. When she decided gradually to reopen Norman, Oklahoma, the ban on churches and other houses of worship 
as well as a general ban on large gatherings, remained in place, just like J.B. Pritzker is doing in Illinois. Restaurants, retail stores, salons were allowed to reopen if they adhered to social distancing policies, but regular religious services, even with social distancing, were barred. The Department of Justice advised the mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, that by subjecting religious institutions to restrictions not applicable to secular ones, she risked running afoul of the First Amendment. Churches and other religious facilities have to be granted the same right to operate as uh, restaurants, retail stores, and salons, said Timothy Downing, U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Oklahoma. As a result of this intervention by the DOJ, Brea Clark reopened the city's churches in time for Mother's Day. However, she continued to maintain that her original ban on church services was lawful. She said she was backing down only because she didn't want to fight the feds. My point is is that Barr is all over this. Barr goes to church. Uh, in fact, we learned during the Mueller investigation that, that uh, Barr, or their, Barr and Mueller, their wives, go to Bible study. I, how the hell can Mueller go to church and Bible study and then be doing what he's doing? And the answer probably was he wasn't maybe even sure what he was doing. I mean, maybe in Joe Biden land, for all we know. No, Mueller, I mean. And that's uh, that's heavy benefit of the doubt stuff. I got a question for you. Molly Hemingway has uh, has tweeted something that we're all asking. In fact, I've asked myself this question since I've been hosting this show. Let me let me read her tweeted pregunta to you. What is the appropriate remedy or response for the years of fake news being peddled by most of the major media? They have caused major damage to domestic health. They have caused major damage to foreign relations. They are continuing the fake news even now. What can be done? What should be done? I'd like to go further in characterizing. The mainstream media is not media. It is a political activist organization which somehow has finagled First Amendment protections. They are not media. They disguise themselves as journalists. They claim the work they're doing is journalism, but it isn't. Stop and think. This is this Victor Davis Hansen's point in his piece today is this is so outrageous. The crimes that are occurring around us by our government and by our political class, by the bureaucracy, by the administrative state, by foreign countries, the crimes are so massive that we can't possibly get our arms around it. We can't comprehend it. We don't know what to do about it. And in the case of this, look at what they've done. She doesn't quite get to the... This is more than fake news. 
This is a full-fledged – the only way to describe this is to call it what it was. This was a coup attempt. This was an attempt hatched in the Obama Oval Office to sabotage a duly elected president. And the primary tool for disseminating and executing this coup was the U.S. media. The DOJ can be doing all they wanted. The intelligence community can do all they want. But if the media weren't willing to spread their lies, if the media were not willing to openly attempt to destroy people, then it would have taken a little bit longer. I'm saying the DOJ could have done it by themselves, but without the media legitimizing it, how does a fake organization like today's news media legitimize anything? But they do. Because what? Statistically, half the people in the country don't recognize the media for what it is. And what it isn't. It isn't media. It isn't journalism. It isn't anything you think it is. It exists for one reason. Advance the cause of the Democrat Party, whether that's socialism or communism or fascism or Marxism, whatever it is, that is their objective because that is who they are. And, of course, there are ancillary objectives. To do that requires the destruction of the enemies of the Democrat Party or the communists and socialists or what have you. So the American media routinely sides with communist China. Because that's the preference for the Democrat Party. Because the objective, the immediate objective here and for the last two and a half years has been to get rid of Donald Trump. And whatever news event has happened or whatever event that has happened that they haven't orchestrated or that they have has been in service to that objective. So the coronavirus is the latest. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll say this thing just happened. Pandemics happen. Viruses happen. They come up. They spread. This case, the American left has taken full advantage of it and is willing to cause pain and suffering to literally hundreds of millions of people in service of their political objective getting rid of Donald Trump. Point her question: What's what's to be done? We now know. And by the way, where where is the outrage? The American people should know they've been lied to for three years. The American people were set up. The American people were promised that Donald Trump stole the election. He's a Russian agent. That he colluded. They were told this over and over again. The people that listen to mainstream media could not doubt it. Where. The Mueller report comes out, oh, sorry, we didn't find any. Why does the media have any reputation left? But beyond that, her question is, what's the remedy? What's the accountability? They have First Amendment protection. In terms of business, the coronavirus is wiping out a lot of journalism. It's wiping out publication journalism. It's wiping out news magazines and newspapers of all sizes 
advertising revenue is way, way down. It doesn't seem to be causing any problem. They're losing audience in a lot of places. Doesn't seem to be a factor. So I don't I don't pretend to have the answer. I don't know what the accountability is. Can't put them in jail. They're protected by the First Amendment. They can say whatever they want. They are free press. But they're not media. They work for organizations that we think are media. ABC News, NBC News, CBS News. But that's not what the American people get. Depending on where you look today, depending on what network you watch, depending on what web page you visit, you could be forgiven if you end the day thinking that the world is about to end, that it's about over, that everybody's going to lose everything by the end of the month. You have no hope of surviving this. Even though we're going to keep your economy locked down and shut down to protect you from it, there's no way you're going to be protected from it. You're not going to survive. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. If that doesn't happen, you're going to lose everything else you've got. This is the flavor. This is the tone. Of the news, there ought to be a price paid for this, but what would the price be? Secretary Mnuchin on Sunday said that reopening the economy amid this pandemic has to be done because if we don't, permanent economic damage will happen. He was on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. I think there's a considerable risk of not reopening. You're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. We're going to reopen in a very thoughtful way that gets people back to work safely, that has them socially distanced. People will be able to get into stores, and some of them will have reservations. By the way, Cuomo is even saying they're going to start opening some stores on the 15th, like, like three, four days from now. Here's, Folks, here's a minor example, very minor, of, of what I'm talking about with the media. This, this story, by the way, today is intended, it's a New York Times story, it's intended to shock and scare everybody. The headline of the story, U.S. to accuse China of trying to hack vaccine data as virus redirects cyber attacks. The FBI and the Department of Homeland Security are preparing to issue a warning that China's most skilled hackers and spies are working to steal American research in the crash effort to develop vaccines and treatments for the coronavirus. The efforts are part of a surge in cyber theft and attacks by nations seeking advantage in the pandemic. The State Department on Friday described a Chinese Twitter campaign to push false narratives and propaganda about the virus. Twitter executives have pushed back on the agency, noting that some of the Twitter accounts that the State Department cited were actually critical of Chinese state narratives. This isn't news, that the Chinese try to hack our computer networks and systems. There's nothing about this as news. 
and we are constantly trying to hack them. And the Soviets, the Russians, are constantly trying to hack us. U.S. to accuse China of trying to hack vaccine data, virus redirect cyber attacks. So the Chinese are working to steal our research. And you're supposed to be scared because you're supposed to think the Chinese are going to get away with it because Trump is such an idiot. That Trump doesn't know what he's doing. The Trump administration is going to sit there, be made fools of. The Chi-Coms are going to come in and they're going to steal all of our research. The Chinese, the North Koreans, the South Koreans, the Israelis, the Iranians, the Russians, the Cubans, take your pick. We are cyber attacked by nations every day, countless times. It's an ongoing, and we're doing the same to them. There's nothing newsworthy about this. And yet this is a gigantic above-the-fold story that, Supposed to frighten I, I I can't even figure out why. They think this is going to scare people, but maybe it'll come to me. In the meantime, a brief break, and we'll be back and continue with you on the phones right after this. And don't go away. Say, if you're working from uh, from home these days, you know all too well how important that computer of yours has become. And you probably know how important all the data on that computer has become. It's not... Like you have everyday access to members of your company's IT department. I mean, not at home. I mean, you likely the responsible one for your computer and all the data that's now on it. But you shouldn't overlook the need to have a good computer backup. Because without that data, you're likely to be in a world of hurt if you were to lose it. And it does happen. Everybody is going to have something go wrong with their computer. The hard drive's just going to fizzle out. It's going to crash. Somebody's going to spill something on it. Something's going to drag your computer off tabletop and smash it to smithereen. It happens to everybody. And if what's on that computer hard drive is not backed up, you are in a world of hurt. So make sure that doesn't happen and back up your data and do it with iDrive, as in iPhone, iDrive.com. iDrive provides you with... I mean, really easy-to-use software. You download it to the Internet. With that, you immediately start backing up your device. And you can put every device you've got under one account. You back up your phone, your tablets, iPads, whatever, and your desktops and laptops. All those stored files, the important documents, the photos, the videos that you have, everything can be backed up into one account safely and securely. And you're the only person that has the key to it, the only person that has the software, to the, the, the password to unlock it. Your data backup is securely stored on servers that iDrive controls, but they can't get to the data either. Only you can. PC Magazine has given iDrive their coveted Editor's Choice Award for the best backup solution for six years now. And you can't have too many backups you really can't. And if you're going to go with this route, then there's no better outfit that we can think of than iDrive.com. All of these PC Magazine awards, those are not randomly thrown out. Just another indication of how good iDrive is. Plan started. Now, get this. This is at 6 bucks a month, less than $6 a month. And when you sign up today... 
They'll lop 90% off your first year. People have said to me, Rush, that's not good. What, do they have to give it away? No, 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 no. It's the exact opposite. They're so proud of what they do, they want you. They want you in the iDrive universe. They know there's a lot of competition out there. They want you to experience their backup service and how great it is. And in order to do that, six bucks a month, 90% off the first year. Got to use my name. That's all you have to do to get it. Sign up at iDrive.com, like iPhone, iDrive.com. Okay, we have one exciting half hour of broadcast excellence uh, remaining. We'll get to it. A lot of people have been patiently waiting on hold, and I'll reward them when we get back. Do not go away. Right here we are, Rush Limbaugh, talent on loan from God. And the latest model runs are in, folks. 43.5 million people projected to be listening to the EIB Network's Rush Limbaugh program. That's according to the latest model runs. Here's Tom. Tom in Providence, Rhode Island. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Hello, Rush. Thanks for having me. You bet. Rush, you just said it. 43 million? 43 and a half million, yeah. 43 and a half million. I hope they're all listening. Because... You, earlier you said that we cannot go after Obama. We have to go after Obama. We have to get on the news. I'm listening to Graham and these other guys. They're all mushy. We have got to address this thing. Do not let Barr and Durham's work go for naught. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. Well, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the call. A lot of a lot of people are of that opinion that that we somehow we have to hold these people accountable. But a lot of people are asking, in the case of the media, how? Now, as for as for Barr and Durham, see, I, I mentioned a moment ago that I think Barr is serious about this. I know he's serious about eradicating the assaults on religious freedom. But I think Barr is probably more motivated to expose and to hold accountable the people that participated in this coup than anybody probably understands. Now, there's a story here, Fox News, Durham moving full throttle on Russia probe review, top federal prosecutors involved. And let me give you a couple of pull quotes from the story. Two sources told Fox News that Jeff Jensen, the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Missouri, who was tapped by the Justice Department in February to review the case of Michael Flynn, and his work is done there, is continuing to help with Durham's investigation even after the DOJ's move last week to drop the case against Flynn. The sources told Fox News that interim U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, Timothy Shea, is also assisting with components of the investigation. Another pull quote from this story. The Justice Department declined to comment on Jensen and Shea's involvement. Uh, Any indication that Durham could be building a case against anybody involved in the Russia probe, however, is sure to inflame tensions between the Trump administration and congressional Democrats who already are ramping up accusations that these Justice Department reviews have become politicized. You know, the first thing needs to happen is stop worrying about what the Democrats say. It's predictable. We know what they're going to say. We know they're going to object to it. We know they're going to oppose it. 
We know they're going to mischaracterize it. Just ignore them. Well, yes, we know, Rush, the uh, the Democrats are already ramping up accusations that these reviews have become like Chuck Todd tried to do to Barr. Believe me, that's only going to egg Barr on more. Barr talks to Durham every day, one source recently told Fox News. The president's been briefed that the case is being pursued, and it is serious. Yeah, I know what you're all thinking. The perfect time for all this to drop would be sometime in October for these indictments to be announced right right before the election. But even if the timing is not what you want it to be, I know that Everybody is demanding that there be accountability for this because it's it's it really was a coup. There was an effort to reverse the election results, and it was based on nothing true. This scandalous. I think Barr is the perfect guy to be running this show because I think he's dead serious about it. And by the way, that's been proven out. Over time, here's uh, here's Dave in Allentown, Pennsylvania. You're next, sir. Hello, sir. How you doing, Rush? Pretty good, thank you. Good. Um, just real quick, I know I get to my point, but the people here, the conservatives in the Lehigh Valley, are all praying for you. They love you. I hear all the time in the morning show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. On a personal note, that blue shirt you're wearing looks great on you. But anyway, getting to my point. Um, <laughs> He's watching on the Ditto Cam. For those of you wondering how he can know on a radio show what kind of shirt I'm wearing. Yes. The only way to listen to your show in my opinion. You like the matching watch band here? I love it. Look at that. Yeah, stylish. Stylish is what that is. I care. I care. Most people in the morning throw it together. Most radio people are slobs because they know nobody's going to ever see them. But I can't afford this since there's this camera here. So I have to be stylish. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, they went way out of their way to keep candidate Trump then from getting into the presidency. They went out of their way so far that they put a general in jail. So my question is, how far on the other side did they go to hide the corruption of Hillary Clinton? Because it goes hand in hand. If they did one, they had to do the other. Well, but we, we kind of know how far they went to exonerate Hillary. Right. But now it's not just speculation. Everyone knows it. Now what are they going to do about it? Well, what do you mean They? Well, the Justice Department. Well, that's a, so you mean Barr. What's what's Barr going to do? What are they going to do? I mean, they know that what they did. They know. Well, they're in, they're they're investigating it all. They've got a grand jury going. I think I think the effort is to hold them accountable. I hope so. I really do. I can't. They can't get away with it because these people act. I think they are above. Well, look. This is the point. Look, I don't mean to be a downer here. They have gotten away with it. That's what's. That's why everybody's so ticked off. They did get away with it. How you can't say they got, even though they got caught. We all know what happened. They haven't. They're still lying on TV every day about there being collusion. They're still on TV lying about Trump stealing the election. They got caught yet, because everybody knows what happened. But half the country doesn't, if they believe mainstream media. But these people screwed up who knows how much. We lost the midterms. They caused a bunch of Republicans to retire and resign. 
which led to us losing the House in 2018. Who knows the damage they've done to the Trump agenda, the Trump family? Who knows what? I mean, it's I don't care what you think of Trump and how tough he is. This is inhumane what this family has been put through, and it's still going on. It's still taking place. To substitute coronavirus for Trump-Russia collusion, the way it's being dealt with and the way it's being handled. So they have gotten away with it. That's why everybody's ticked off. We now know what happened, and they're still roaming free, and they're still on CNN lying to their teeth every night about what they did. And they're basically laughing in our faces over it. And people are rightfully asking, what good is a justice system that looks the other way and exonerates those at the very top of that very system who have politicized it and used it to advance their own political objectives while ruining fellow citizens who hadn't done anything wrong? If they can get away with it with no accountability, what good is the system of justice? If the American people collectively think that people in the Washington political class, in the administrative state, are going to get away with whatever they do, then you're going to have a steady erosion that's just going to boomerang, not boomerang, it's going to snowball. Lack of interest in government, lack of concern for it, lack of belief in it. I think this has been going on for a while, even before this kind of thing hit. But as I say, and I, I it, it, remember while all this was going on, all of this, this lying, stinking collusion stuff, there were Republicans who knew for the last year that Democrats and the intelligence people were testifying that they had never seen a shred of evidence. And yet we're going on television every night lying about it. There wasn't one leak. There wasn't one Republican who dared point out and dared try to stop it. Not one. So people are saying, we can't even depend on our own party to defend us or itself. So the frustration here is is mounting over all this. And, you know, well, Justice Department's got to do something. Right. The Justice Department did do something. They ran the coup. Take a break after this. Be back. Don't go away. Your guiding light through times of trouble, confusion, murkiness, deceit, despair, coups, and the good times as well. Rush Limbaugh. Having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. Okay, the success story of Bolden Branch business is a remarkable one, and it never gets old. I love startups, and I love people that come out and, and come up with a new business model to sell something that everybody already has and make it better, make it innovative. Everybody's got sheets. Well, except the homeless. And even the homeless probably have sheets. What they put them on is another matter. But everybody's got sheets. Can we just concede this? So Bolin Branch, a husband and wife team, they come along, they want to get into the sheets business. How many of you have grown up wanting to get into the sheets business? 
How many of you have grown up wanting to get involved in any part of the bed business other than what you do in it? Well, this husband and wife team became fascinated with high-quality luxury sheets that they would find when they checked into highfalutin four- or five-star hotel suites because they felt different. And they wanted to be able to have them for themselves, but they didn't want to pay $1,000 a set. They priced them in department stores. That's what they cost. So they looked into this market. How does all this happen? They found a source for proprietary fabric that they could make into their Bolin Branch sheets. They set out to make the product for themselves. And it was so good that they decided to actually expand and make a business selling to everybody else. They had experienced the luxury that they thought comes with staying in a five-star hotel. They had to find a way to make the sheets they wanted to sell to you not nearly that expensive. They knew they wouldn't make any money at a thousand bucks a bucks a pop, so they found a pure organic cotton. Uh, it was and it took a while, but they found it and a continual supply. They made a deal, and now Bolden Branch sheets are renowned as some of the softest, most luxurious that you can buy. They're so economically priced, you can give them away. They're 200 bucks, 250 to been a day that you buy them 250, $200 a set. But if you buy using my name, there's a $50 discount. They'll say you'll save 50 bucks if you use my name when you make your first purchase. Their website they only sell online. That's a key to this. B O L L and branch.com. B O L L and branch.com. If you have any doubts about this, there's a 30-night money-back guarantee, meaning use these sheets for 30 nights. Find out if they are luxurious, as I say. Find out if they are that soft and comfortable. And, by the way, wash them to your heart's content. They only get softer as you use them. And But if they don't meet your expectations, send them back. Shipping is free both ways. Send them back, and they'll refund your money. You can't lose. And you might actually end up actually loving these things. Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Remember, use my name. Save 50 bucks off of your first uh, set. What do I think of the libs turning on Elon Musk? I think it is classic. So Elon Musk is ticked off that he can't open his factory. He's dying. He wants to open his factory. Some state representative tells him to go get... Almost said it. A state representative told him, if you, Elon Musk, Elon Musk said, you know, well, screw you. I'm going to take my factory. I'm going to move it out of here. So you have the left turning on a popular American hero, the guy that manufactures and sells Teslas. I think I think it's... Um, Teachable moment, but I think Elon Elon Musk didn't need to be taught. I think he's already figured out what an albatross around his neck liberalism is. But this, if he hadn't figured it out, then this this would be uh, his come home event where he uh, learns what dealing with the left really is all about. He wants his business open.
He wants his factory open. Tesla wants to start making cars. The factory's in Fremont. And they're telling him, they're telling him, I can't tell you what they're telling him. I really, a state rep, not, not even not even a member of Congress, a state lackey. Some irritable, angry state representative woman is telling him to go blank himself over all of this. So, you know, he's out of sorts, too, because he's, he and Gates, Richard Branson, they've all figured out that they're not going to be able to get to Mars before they die, so they're out of sorts anyway. And then add this to it. Say again, for those of you who didn't uh, happen to make the, the, the top of the program, uh, the Michelle Obama Netflix show called Becoming was a flop. And the I, I don't I don't mention this because you know I I uh, get thrill out of other people's failures. It's to illustrate a long held belief that the Obamas are not universally loved and adored. They're not considered God and goddesses by the American people. You know Obama endorses candidates and most of them lose, uh, and yet the Democrats believe that it's just the exact opposite. And I just wanted to make sure, you know, keep these people in reality. They're not deities and they're not gods, even though the Democrats look at them that way. See you tomorrow. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams, offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.